Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. Um, in a moment, um, Parker is going to preach to you. And I just want to, I'm sensitive to it right now, but I just want to ask you to prepare for something supernatural in the sense of not an ordinary church service, but I do believe within every single fiber of my being that Jesus is actually alive, that his death and resurrection really did happen. And I believe that God can meet us And his spirit can move. And I just want you to be aware that there are going to be moments as Parker's preaching where you're going to experience the tangible presence of God coming down upon you. And I just want to encourage you to just not brush it away, but to be sensitive to the touch of the Holy Spirit because that's the very thing that will make your whole life work. That's the thing that brings revival. That's what brings in souls. That's what brings in miracles and healings and the things that you don't even know how to pray for is when God steps in. So you guys can take a seat right now. And what I believe last night, what happened was this. What I saw in the spirit was God, this place, I saw it like a campfire. I saw this tent and what's been happening here and what's been prepared, it was like I saw the wood on a campfire and I felt like everything was set perfectly. Have you ever gone to like a bonfire and it's like someone's collected all the wood already, right? Someone's done the hard work. It's actually hard work to chop down tons of wood for a campfire. We went to an Airbnb once in Kentucky and someone had already collected all the wood on the bonfire, right? And it was all there. And all you think when you see this wood collected on a bonfire is, we gotta have a bonfire, (laughs) right? You see it and you're like, it's already prepared. It's already there. But What I believe happened last night is this. We've been seeing it over and over the last few weeks that a little fire starts to ignite. There's just a little spark. And I believe that what God's anointed me to do in this time, in this era, is just to create a spark. But we have have an opportunity here today and moving forward. And we're gonna speak with your pastor tomorrow about what this looks like in the days ahead. Because we don't know what we're doing. We stay sensitive to the Holy Spirit. But I believe what Parker is anointed to do, and I've seen it actually in the wilderness, and I'm gonna see it here today. And this is what the Lord's saying. Parker sees the spark on the bonfire, and then he goes low and breathes on the flame And what happens is with this tender touch of the anointing of the word of God coming in alignment with the spirit, when the word and spirit can come, 
all of a sudden we see just a little kindling start to burn and burn and burn and burn. And all of a sudden people start gathering around the fire and meals are prepared and people start celebrating and people start coming in. And that's what we're entering into if we can be sensitive to not quench and kill the flame. Okay, so will you guys come into agreement right now and stretch out a hand? Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are the confirmation to us that Jesus died and rose again. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you anoint every single word that Parker preaches, and I pray that our hearts would be like kindling, that you would be a refining fire, that every single dead and broken thing would be ignited and be laid aside, that we would be cut to the heart to be living, burning vessels of your love and glory in Wilmington, and that we would see a place transformed by the refiner's fire. Holy Spirit, we do not want to be a witness of the flames, but we will enter in today to burn with the power of your presence, God, so that people in this region would only see your presence, your love, and your glory. And so we right now prepare ourselves for whatever it is you want to do in our hearts today. We come hungry. We come prepared. We move our schedules, our finances, our resources, our plans, our programs, our, our lives to come into alignment with whatever it is that you're going to do. And we say in agreement, repeat after me, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Thank you, Jesus. So can we just say, Parker, we are ready. <laughs> okay, so we receive the word. I love you. You ever lived with a spark before? <laughs> it's pretty amazing. Once you figure it out. So <laughs> it does take time. <laughs> so... I don't dream often, and last night I had two different dreams. Um, I actually don't really, I have dreams, I think, um, but last night I had two different dreams. And I haven't even shared this with Jess yet, um, because as is her lifelong frustration, um, I am very much an internal processor, and then I'll preach, because I don't, if you're a preacher in this room, or if you've ever done public speaking, it's kind of cathartic, because you can tell very personal things to a crowd, um, and it doesn't bother you as much, but when you have to tell one single person that you're accountable to, it's much harder. Um, so it's like, I did these terrible things, and people are like, oh, that's funny, me too, but like you tell your wife, and you're like, you need to clean up. So last night I had a dream, and I was in a tent very similar to this, so obviously the tent was in my subconscious, and we've been thinking about tents nonstop for the past six months or so, and I was actually at a county fair here in North Carolina, and 
as you'd see at like a county fair, there was like a sparse group of people sitting in this room. You know, probably half of the amount of people that are in this room right now. And this is a weird part, and if someone gets an interpretation for this, I just thought it was funny. Someone played the saxophone before I was supposed to get up very poorly. <laughs> and I knew it was bad. And it started well, and then it ended very poorly. And I tried to get up on stage and say, wasn't that great, everyone? And everyone just like looks at each other, and there was no clapping. And I don't know if you've ever been in front of a crowd where you try and get a response and nobody does anything. It devours your soul. <laughs> You literally feel like you're going to die. Um, but so that happened, and then this guy leaves, the saxophone player. But then I'm supposed to preach the gospel at this county fair, and I know I'm supposed to. It's like this special assignment to preach at this county fair. And I talk about how uh, I came to North Carolina, and I found something that I didn't expect. I found home. Now, if you've... You probably read portions of Jesse's book, so you got a good idea of what her story was. Uh, but I grew up in Spokane, Washington, uh, so the east side of the state, about 30 minutes from Idaho. So kind of a, a town very similar size to Wilmington, almost exactly the same size when I was growing up. Any direction you'd go, about 10 minutes, you'd be in the country. And um, I moved my senior year of high school. Uh, when I was 17 to Southern California. So I went from a school where I was in kindergarten with the kids all the way up to junior high to, and it was 800, 800 kids, and I went to a school where my graduating class was more like 900. So there are 4,000 kids at this school, girls doing cocaine in the bathroom, which was new for me. Um, and where I was, it was just marijuana um, in Washington State, just the low-key stuff. And so I'm in this whole new world. Um, and then when I graduated, I got, a, um, I got a, an academic scholarship to a, a local university, so to speak. And I got the check. And God called me. Thank God. God called me. Um, and I returned a check that was for tuition, housing, and um, everything else that came with it, books and stuff like that. I had to go to the office itself and turn it in. The lady, lady looks at me and goes, are you sure you want to do this? And I just handed her the check kind of silently and walked away. <laughs> um, and I moved to Australia, um, and I was in Australia for three years at Hillsong College in Australia, and I interned with their youth ministry there. Um, and God has been calling me further and further and deeper and deeper into what he's wanted me to do. And calling me into this refinement, which I think is related to this dream that I had. So I begin to preach the gospel in this dream. And half the crowd just gets up and leaves. Because they came for a carnival. They came for a fair. And I'm talking to you in this room today. Some of us, in the charismatic world and in others, I mean, I've been a part of fairs in evangelical churches. I've been a part of fairs in tiny little cult-like churches. I've been a part of fairs in every type of church you can imagine. But there's always some kind of show that people have been showing up to in North America for a long time. For a long time. And I believe the pill that we need to swallow as a church 
is to begin to preach the pure, unadulterated gospel, and then the people that came for a game will leave. And you know how most of the time, I mean, I think back in the day, I mean, uh, Ruth Graham probably experienced this when she tried to preach at a Baptist commission and half the men just turned their backs on her. But the feeling in your gut when people are leaving as you're speaking, even in the dream, in my subconscious dream, I was like, whoa, this is terrible. But then I realized something. As soon as those people had left, and this happened in the dream as well, as soon as those people had left, those that had stayed, those that had stayed became extremely supportive. They started shouting me down. And from what I remember in the dream, it wasn't even a very good message. I preach bad ones and I preach good ones. And you know when you're a pastor, it's like, that wasn't my best. And the reality for me was I think we're coming into a place in the church in America across the board. And I believe we moved. I said last night, I don't know why we moved to Wilmington, but I'm sure now. I think God wants us to raise an army. And it's time for us to stop mowing down the fair food, stop eating the funnel cakes, and stop eating the things that are for children. And this was the crazy second part of the dream. I just read this book about the carnivore diet, right? You guys have heard about this, right? Eat only meat. I'm about it because I don't have to eat vegetables. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Vegetables are gross. And I'm right. And everyone else is wrong. You cannot prepare something and make it taste better than a ribeye. Like, oh, what about this spinach, this cream spinach? No, I'll stick with the ribeye or the brisket. Thank you very much. But for me, uh, and this, well, I was sitting up in first class, which is great, by the way, <laughs> and in the dream, and this doctor is walking towards me, and he stops, and we have a long conversation about how people's lives are completely transformed by consuming meat. And when I woke up, I immediately thought of the verse that Paul the Apostle says, some of you are still drinking milk. Yeah. Hebrews 5.14. Thank you, Pastor. I need you in my life. <laughs> I remember things, but not chapter and verse all the time. But the reality of it was, in that dream, the Lord was telling me very clearly, some of you in this room this morning, and I'm starting with this room, are way past the age where you should be drinking milk. And I'm going to say something inappropriate, and I don't care if it offends you right now, but I saw this once in Australia. I saw a toddler run up to a mom and say, milk, please, and then breastfeed. And I said, whoa, it's time to move past milk. This is awkward for everybody. And I want you to know, if you've been in this church for 10, 15, 20 years, or if you've been a believer for that long and you're still on the baby stuff, you're still on the milk, we're not sharing the gospel, you're not making disciples, you're not raising up another generation, you're acting like a tiny little baby. It says childlike, not childish. We believe like a child, but we go to war like men. That's what Paul the Apostle says, act like men. Gird yourselves. Too many of us are showing up to a carnival when we're showing up actually to a war camp. 
And the times that we're waiting, like times intense where we're waiting for the Lord to move, we're preparing and training and practicing spiritual discipline. And we are involving ourselves however we can in the preparation for war. And too many of us have found, look around you, look at critical race theory, look at what they're teaching kids in schools. They're coming after our kids and the church has been found wanting. Why? Because we kept going to a carnival when we were in a war camp. And I know it's Resurrection Sunday and Jesus is alive, but the reality of it is a lot of us aren't acting like it. We don't act like the general could show up at any time. We read in the Bible, it says Lord of Lords, right? King of Kings. But Americans don't understand kings. It's like not, it doesn't comprehend for the last 250 years. The last king we had we didn't like. So we got rid of him. And I think we made some good choices, but the reality of it is a better interpretation of that would be the emperor of the universe. That hits different. If you're in this room today and you think that you can stay on the sidelines in a time like this, you're crazy. I don't care if you're one foot in the grave. You better be stirring for a fight right now. You better be. This isn't a game. This is eternal. And every single person here, and it goes to the beginning of the dream that I had, Every single person is looking for home. We are surrounded by orphans. A sea of orphans. And we sit at our home and we watch Netflix over and over again and we're allowed to be distracted. You know what Julius Caesar said, bread and circuses. Just give them a little stimulus check. Just keep the shows rolling. Just keep them fat and happy. Keep them distracted. I read stories of people like Winston Churchill. By the time he was 25, he was a member of parliament and written a whole multitudinous volume of the history of the Roman Empire. He's 25. Why? Because the dude was not watching Netflix specials. He's focused and on purpose. And I think a lot of us Maybe you have active sin in your life right now. That's milk stuff. I want to talk to you in this room that have moved on past that and need to drop some weight. The things that are just distractions, the things that are holding you back a little bit, the things that get in the way of your relationship with Christ. We are walking into a season right now where the grace for the bench, the grace for the sidelines is absolutely and completely over. There is no room for you to sit on the side and watch. You will be judged for that. Yes, your daddy loves you in heaven. Yes, your daddy also holds the rod. And if he loves you, he'll discipline you. And we should be grateful for it. Why? Because it's happening now and not later. I want my full reward. I want all the glory I can get in heaven. So God, please, I submit to your discipline. Give it to me now, not later. Give it to me while I've still got time so I don't have any regrets. 
I want to encourage you here today, if you have lived with any regrets up to this point when it comes to your walk with Christ, it's time for you to step into a world where Christ is actually alive, ruling and reigning and actively and competently running the universe. He's better at your business than you. He's better at your job than you. He's better at your marriage than you. He's better at every single relationship than you. He is the exquisite, the most unbelievable teacher, and he'll teach you through every circumstance of life and through his word to do life in an extraordinary way. That's what resurrection actually means. Because what do the apostles say? They say, we preach what we've seen. They preach what they've seen. Have you seen it? Have you seen the resurrection power of Christ? (laughs) I've seen too much. (laughs) You're accountable for every single thing that you've seen. To share the good news of Christ with those that are near to you. And I think Dallas Willard says it well, like water runs downhill, you were made for a specific purpose in this specific life. And the most powerful ideas are those that don't have to justify themselves. The idea of the resurrection does not have to justify itself because look at his bride. If we behave like he's alive, we will not have to argue We will not have to contend for the culture. We will overwhelm it with the resurrection power of Christ. It will be irresistible to those that are called to be saved, and it will be a stumbling block to those that aren't. Some will leave, some will stay. Jesus did really good at that. I don't know if you watched his ministry at all, but as soon as he got a crowd, he said, I don't trust these people shut it down, or they try and make him an earthly king. They try and vote him in to kick the Romans out. They wanted a political transformation. But what everyone, I think, missed over these last two years, when it came to all the politicking and all the Facebook stuff and all the craziness that took place, is that politics flows downstream from culture. The more people that are saved, the more holy our nation will be. You can't legislate holiness. The people have to be holy. And then they'll vote holy. They'll vote for the best possible broken human being they can put in office. And thank God we can vote. A lot of people make dumb choices. Luke 24, verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. To give you context, if you're brand spanking new in this place, Jesus had been crucified two days before. So they're talking about the drama. This is a big drama. A lot is happening. So I don't know if you've ever watched anything take place in the world. Like when COVID was happening, everyone was talking about COVID. You know, when the election's happening, everyone's talking about elections. 
This is what everybody was talking about. This is the 24-hour news cycle. This is what everyone's talking about in and around Jerusalem. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. I want you to take a second and just enjoy the personality of Jesus. First of all, just appears. Super cool. Right? He's like, these two guys are talking about me. Shows up, starts walking alongside him on the road to Emmaus. And he went with them, and he just takes over the conversation. Uh, that's something that happens in life all the time. If we just preach Jesus, he'll take over the conversation. Wow. There's a lot of stupid conversations that are taking place. A lot of idiocy. A lot of people talking about things that don't matter. But if we're sharing the gospel, it matters. You know how you can tell it matters? Because it makes people mad. Oh, you can say God, you can say all that, but if you say the name of Jesus, oh, so the name of Jesus matters then. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. (laughs) So I just picture these two Jewish dudes walking down the road. And stopping, he goes, what are you guys talking about? And they go, it's stop in the middle of the road looking at a resurrected Christ, and they don't even know it yet. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in the la- these days? So I don't know, who's visited New York? So I miss the Jews in New York. I really do. You have to put some Jewish sass on this. It's like, are you serious, bro? Like you don't know what's happened over the last few days? What are we talking about? Everyone's talking about it. What are you talking about? And he said to them, what things? So he just goes even further. And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, Mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. So think about the hope of these people that they have. They're being burdened by the Romans, they're overwhelmed by them, they're feeling under their yoke. They expect Jesus, who is raising people from the dead. Like if you're going to make somebody your king on earth, someone that raises people from the dead seems like a pretty good option. Or multiplies bread. So they're disappointed because their supposed leaders, the chief priests, put him up on a cross. So he's dead. In their minds and in their hearts, he's dead. All hope is lost of kicking out the Romans, of of Jerusalem and all of Israel being restored. Their savior is gone. They thought he was the savior. And even worse, and this is worse for human beings, I think, they thought they were wrong. So all these guys are hiding, trying to figure out what do we do because we're wrong and our throats are going to get cut. We're next. I know a lot of preachers make fun of the apostles and the 120 for locking the door. But tell you what, man. I would be out in the middle of nowhere where nobody could find me and Jesus would have to appear like in the middle of the mountain somewhere if like 
the guy I'd been following for three years and everybody knew it just got hung on a cross and I saw it take place. See you later, man. I'm out. I like to pick a winner. Let's change teams here. Be a lot more like Peter than what you think you'd be, I think. No, I don't know the guy. It's crazy. I sound the same, but... But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes. And besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. I love the tension Luke puts in the scripture here. It's so good. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. So they don't believe the women. (laughs) Just to make that clear. So, like, take this with a grain of salt. But the ladies told us he wasn't in the grave. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. (laughs) Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. Told you so. But him they did not see. So it's like, yeah, his tomb's empty, but who knows? And he said to them, Jesus responds, Oh, foolish ones. So this language seems kind of tender and polite. I want you to know this is not tender and polite language. Jesus is saying, you fools, you idiots, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter in, to enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Who would like to take that walk? (laughs) And honestly, Luke, you could have put it in there for us. So they drew near to the village which they were going, and he acted as if he were going further. I want to stop right here, and I'll finish in a second. Some of you are following Jesus right now. He's revealing himself to you. Maybe through this message right now. He's showing you a new side of himself. Maybe you've had the road to Emmaus where Jesus has disappointed you. Or governmental leaders have disappointed you. Or what you expected Jesus to do for you, he didn't do. Because he's God. And he does what he likes. And he's got in mind what's best for your eternity and the eternity of those around you. I'll preach on suffering another time, but we miss it. We miss the opportunity. Sometimes we let Jesus keep walking. Sometimes we'll take that road, we'll take the revelation, we'll take the teacher, right? But not the Christ. We'll take the one that gives us all the goods. We'll take the mental ascent to Christianity. We'll learn about the resurrection. We'll learn about the crucifixion of Christ. We'll learn about the prophets. We'll even dance about it. We'll prance about it. We'll sing about it in church. But when it comes to Jesus entering into our home, we let him pass on. And he'll act as if he's going further to see where your desire actually lays. You know, they've got what they needed. You know, Peter and John will probably sort these guys out later on when they're the leaders of the church and the Holy Spirit comes. But what do they do? But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, 
for it is toward evening, and this day is far, now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. <laughs> There's some, some simplicity about this story that I love so much. They remembered him at a meal. They remembered him breaking bread. And we're called to do the same thing, right? We're called to break bread. Some of you probably did it on Friday. Took communion together, right? Communion is meant to be done with brothers and sisters. It's meant to be done remembering what Jesus has done for us. Many times I believe it's more like a full meal, not the cracker and grape juice. We need to commune with each other and be with each other in that moment. Remember what Jesus has done for us. That's what made them recognize him. He broke the bread in front of them to serve them bread. He was a guest in their house, which is completely backwards. And he's about to serve them. And they remembered the servant king that went to a cross and died and is now resurrected in front of them and their eyes were opened. Wow. He vanished from their sight, which is just funny. They said to each other, and this is where I want to hang out for a second. Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Did not our hearts burn within us while he walked with us and opened up the scriptures to us? Maybe you're having trouble hearing from God in here today. Maybe you're wondering, yeah, Parker, that was a great motivational speech at the beginning about joining the army, but how do I actually do that? The only way that we can do that is to actually walk with Jesus and pay attention to the burning that takes place in our hearts as we walk. And sometimes you'll look back and say, man, don't you remember what it felt like? Some of y'all need to remember what it was like to be saved, and then you'll go out and reach the lost. You don't remember how far away you were from God. You don't remember how lost you actually were and how you weren't even looking for him, but he was looking for you. Don't you remember how your heart was burning within you? That's how Jess and I do it. I don't know how. We just say we're walking with Jesus. We just love him. We didn't aim for revival. We didn't aim for any of that. We aimed for Jesus. I was just shocked at how little the gospel had actually been preached. The saving power of the cross that signs and wonders follow. Too many people are looking for the lion tracks but are afraid to approach the lion. Oh, look at his signs, look at his wonders. Isn't this amazing, isn't this amazing? Do you wanna speak to him? No, no, I just love looking at his tracks. I just want this right here. I would throw every single revival we had in a garbage bin, burn it on fire, pour gasoline on it again, if I knew that I could just have Jesus. I think I've come to a place in my life where I actually do not care so much about revival as I care about the person of Jesus. 
Because weren't your hearts burning? Too many of us are not burning. Because we're not hearing his voice. We're, not, we're expecting him to be something he is absolutely not. We do not let Christ be Christ. Isn't it funny? In our culture, we let every single person self-identify except for God himself. Well, I think God is like this, and God is like that, and God is like this. No, he's like he says he is. And I'm sick and tired, and I don't care what movement it is and how much momentum they have. It if it's not based on how God says he is as revealed in Scripture, it is something I want no part of. Because the time is coming, and already has, where God is winnowing his flock. He's removing kings and priests first in his own household that have not lived according to this book. He is exposing the church so that she can be clothed again. And our hearts must burn within us for one thing and for one thing only. We can't be busy like Martha who gets a bad rap for just trying to make God dinner. Lord knows that would be me. I would not be Mary. First of all, kind of boring and awkward, like sitting at somebody's feet one-on-one. I would be trying to stay busy and say, I'm going to serve this guy. I'm going to take care of him. I'm going to take care of the teacher. And it's a very gentle rebuke from Jesus. It is. Compared to how he talks to his disciples, it's a very gentle rebuke. He calls them little faiths. You know, a lot of people say, oh, it says in the scripture, right, oh, you of little faith. But a better thing, he's teasing them. He's saying little faiths. He's like saying, you ain't got nothing, little faiths. <laughs> it's not like, oh, ye of little faith, if you had only known. He's making fun of them. He's saying, you couldn't figure it out, huh? How long will I be with this perverse and wicked generation? I'll cast it out. He was disappointed with the disciples when they couldn't cast it out. We don't talk about that very much, do we? How much Jesus was disappointed with his disciples. Like, come on, man. Like, you're with the Son of God. I know you don't know that yet. But everyone's going to wish they were you and wonder why you're so stupid. (laughs) It's like, we have an excuse. We're like 2,000 years separated. And the scripture is confusing. Not really. I think for so many of us, we want revival. We want transformation in our families. We want to do the work. We want to stay busy. And everybody is guilty of doing this. Everyone's guilty of trying to cook dinner for the king when he's ready to sit there with you and teach you. And we found more and more that revival, transformation, awakening in people's hearts and lives. It comes from a place in the dark. I can tell you right when revival started. Started in New York City after I read a book called Secrets of the Secret Place and I woke up at 4.30 or 5 in the morning and shut my door and began to study the word and pray on a daily basis. Seven years ago. That's where it started. 
It didn't start with a shout from a stage. It didn't start with some special thing. And not everyone's called to lead awakening and lead revival like Jess and I are. Don't get me wrong. I know my whole generation thinks they're all heroes and they can't hold down a job. (laughs) Not everyone's a hero, man. It's like sometimes you just got to live a regular life and that's awesome. I envy that sometimes. But I think the reality for us is we have to have revival start in the secret place where the Father will reward us openly. And I let me caution you here because this is where it can end up sometimes. The secret place can end up being navel-gazing. Follow the pattern of Christ. Go up to the mountain before the sun comes up and then go out and do the work the Father has asked you to do. It's our job to see people saved. It's our job to bring in orphans and widows. This is a generation, and I want to talk to every single man in here over the age of 30. There's a good chance that 70% of the young men that you've run into that are younger than you did not have a present father. Man, what a need the church could meet if its men would step up. And I'm talking about men specifically. Yes, there's some awesome mamas in the house, but let me tell you, every time I've seen men go to the front and set an example and start raising young men to walk with Christ, everything changes. Did you know that if a man gets saved and he has an extended family, there's a 98.9% chance the rest of the family will follow Jesus? 98.9%. An unsaved man begins to follow Jesus. 50% with a wife, and down in the teens with teenagers. Sorry, that's a pet project. That's a pet thing in my heart. But I want to tell you guys today, on this Easter Sunday, let us behave, let us believe, and let us act like he's actually alive. Because that is what will actually transform our nation. And my heart bleeds for it. We are in a time where we are on the edge of judgment, if not in judgment already as a nation. It's clear as day. You cannot devalue life, devalue people, devalue truth, and devalue almost anything that would have been considered normal. 50 to 60 years ago, and throw it in the bin, and throw away an entire generation of children, literally throw them away, and not expect the hammer of God to come down on your nation without deep repentance and a transformational power of the church saying, I'm warning you, I love you, I'm warning you, but you'd better repent. Your dad loves you, but you're going to stand before the great white throne in the end, and you'll be judged for your deeds. You will be. Every single one of us will. The judgment is actually coming, and God does still actively judge nations and use nations for his judgment, for his purposes. Maybe we are special as a nation. Maybe we have been chosen for a particular purpose, but everyone needs to understand that every nation is a tool in the hand of Almighty God. 
Maybe he raised us up to defeat the Nazis and the fascists in the East. And then we got high on our own stuff when God brought the victory. Who knows? But I urge you in this room to live as if Jesus is alive and put your hands on people and say, let me tell you about this Jesus that loves me, but let me also tell you, if you choose to do this, you're joining in a fight that maybe you're not prepared for, but let me walk you into that. We need to leave the bread in the circuses to those that are immature, those that aren't there yet. We need to leave the show, and we need to preach an unadulterated gospel, even in our workplaces, so that somebody walks out. Because some of you in this room, I can see it on people's faces. I don't, people don't know you can see them when you're preaching to them. It's like, I can see you. Some of you in this room, and I'm telling you, man, I've done, they're like, man, this sounds kind of harsh. It's like, I do Father's Heart Ministry. I love Ed Purick. He's like my spiritual dad, man. And my, Jess has a gift of like knocking people over and getting them baptized. Like when we pray for people, I just make grown men weep. <laughs> That's like the one thing. I just have uncomfortable crying men on my shoulder. <laughs> it's like, I don't cry normally. It's like, I know, it's just my anointing. It's, it's annoying to me as well. But daddy loves you. <laughs> now stop sinning so something worse doesn't happen to you. <laughs> but I want to encourage you here today that behold the kindness and the severity of God. His kindness brings you into his flock. His kindness sends his son to die for you. My God, his son died for you. His son died for you. I would not sacrifice my son for you. And he died for you while you were still a rebel against him. Not just like, oh, I'm indifferent about God. If you're indifferent about God, you're his enemy. You're a rebel against him, full of sin. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to give my son so they know. So they know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I'm obsessed with them, I value them, I want everything from them, but I want to set them free. And then what's the resurrection? I had to think about this. I'm like, what is it really? It's God's receipt that everything's been purchased and death is defeated. So you can hold up that receipt, and I'll use this. You can hold up that receipt to things in your life when the enemy tries to come against you, yeah. when you're preaching the gospel and say, sorry, paid in full, and the receipt is the resurrection power of Christ that lives in me. Yeah. Now give back everything to me that you've taken from me and then some. Because I've got a receipt and my dad gave it to me. And he just so happens to own the store. So there's this weird thing where I've got a receipt. He also owns the store and everything in it. So I better get that life-giving power of resurrection that Jesus promises. He's alive because he's alive right now. Right here and right now. So I just want you to stand really quickly. If you want to receive this power, I want you to stand. Very simply, I remember when 
I changed from loving Jesus from afar to respecting him. And that was a different kind of love for me. It's like, oh, I can respect you. And if you've ever taken love or respect or read what Paul the Apostle has to say about marriage, men show love by respecting. And it's confusing to women, so we have to figure out how to love properly. So, men in this room, you're being called to war. Women in this room, you're being called into an age where there is more opportunity for you to, to share the gospel than there has been in two millennia. And I think it will be impossible for this uh, darkness that we see to turn back the tide of women that stand up alongside their husbands and sling the gospel like never before. And there's a generation of children coming up. I've seen it in my own children. That God is talking to them without my permission. My four-year-old, five-year-old talking to me about Jesus. I'm like, oh, we better step up our Bible study time. Seems like the Holy Spirit's getting ahead of me. But I want to pray for you to just receive the Holy Spirit's power. And especially a revelation that sits deep inside of you that Jesus is alive. That Jesus is alive. So, Father God, we thank you for the promised gift of your Holy Spirit. And every single person in here that wants more, that wants a second baptism like the apostles asked for in Acts when the walls would shake, that they would be able to preach the gospel with boldness and be able to see signs and wonders and miracles that prove your word. God, I thank you for that power on every single person in this room right now that is willing to receive it and willing to pay that price. God, I thank you for bold men and women that would share the gospel. Know that it is the only thing that matters. That the salvation of eternal souls is the only thing that matters. God, come down on this place and those that are willing to receive you right now in the name of Jesus. Power in Jesus' name. Resurrection power. Wonder-working power. God, may we all remember the cross and preach it and walk in your resurrection. May we bow at the cross on a daily basis, and when we stand up and walk out into our lives, Jesus, I thank you that every single person in here would walk in your resurrection power, and they would hold the receipt in their pocket. In Jesus' name, amen.